Thanks for listening to another podcast from C3 Calgary West. Our hope is that this message will equip and inspire you in your walk with God. For more information about our church, check out our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram at C3 Calgary West. So it's, it's like this. So next week, how many of us know there's somebody who needs to be here next week that isn't here this week? Amen. And uh, so bring them. Now bringing and inviting are two different things. So you invite somebody, it's sort of like this. Hey, you want to go to church next week? I didn't think so. Okay. But bringing someone is like, hey, uh, next week, you know, I'm at nine, you know, 10 o'clock, 10.30, I'm going to pick you up. We're going to head. We're going to go to church. It's awesome. It's going to be uplifting. And afterwards, I'm buying lunch. Hello, somebody. That's a bring somebody thing right there. Amen. So we flourish because we're in the presence of Almighty God. And Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, said to pray this way, our what? Our Father who art in heaven. So I believe this day is in the presence of, I believe every day is Father's Day in that sense. It's our Father in heaven. So this day, let's pray together right now. Father, we thank you. And we pray, Father, because you promised to never leave us, never forsake us. And I thank you, Father, that you are here and your presence is here and your love and your affection and your your mercy and your grace is alive in us today. And thank you for this place of flourishing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn to three or four people as you're seated and just tell them you look good today. Thanks, Becca. You're awesome. Look good today. Some of us worked really hard to look good today. So we want to make sure you get acknowledged. Chapter 2 of John. Thanks, beautiful. You guys have a great band. Would you give them a hand? They're fantastic. And I love, uh, I love these two guys over here who have their own mosh pit. Like, they ran into each other. Did you guys see that? Like, there was one moment, and then they both go, hey, you know. I love that. What a great place to be on a Sunday morning and through the week, and the life and the action that goes on here is just uh, fantastic. I do have a Father's Day tip for you. I love being uh, a dad and now a uh, abuelo, you know, a papa, a grandpa. And uh, here's, I got a picture of, of uh, this is last year. Uh, that's my uh, spectacular wife. We've been married 48 years. And uh, I know, really? It's like, <laughs> yeah, pray for her. And so, uh, and then there's six of our grandkids, six of our nine. And uh, then that little one right there, that's Audrey. So this is like last year. And now she's like 13 months and she's walking. I mean, no, that changes everything. <laughs> you know, it's like picking stuff up. And, you know, I just love it. I love the whole thing. I love the whole vibe of it. So Father's Day tip is this. If dad gets real quiet this afternoon, he's planning something, okay? If you hear him snoring, the plan worked, okay? So that's Father's Day tip from uh, Papa. And John, the second chapter, is this picture of our Father in heaven. It's a fascinating thing to me that uh, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray this way. Not, oh, great sovereign creator of the universe, not Jehovah Shalom, our peace, or our Sid Canoe, or whatever that one means. You know, all these. He, he, said, he said, pray this way, our, what? Our Father. Fascinating, isn't it, that 
he would give us an image that for many of us means the person who didn't affirm us or the one who wasn't there or the one who didn't know how to do it well and didn't. And, and this humanity, and yet he, what he wanted to do was present for us an image that we would know who he is for us. That he's our father, and it was the highest manifestation that he could put within us that we would know, here's who he is. He's our father. He's the father who's always there. He's the father who never leaves us. One of my wife's, uh, my wife Judy loves the, the Amplified Bible. You know, that's the one with all the extra words. <laughs> but it's not extra words just to make it bigger. It's to give us the underlying meaning of what the writers were writing in the original Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. And, and so there's this Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the second part of it, in the Amplified. I want to show you that. And I want to read this out loud and together. I love this thing because it's, it's a, I'll show you in a second. There's a really cool piece right in the middle. It's like when I found out what it meant, I went, whoa, this is mine. And Judy and I we use this all the time because, you know, in the, in the middle of life and stuff that happens, we hold on to his word because he's never failed. Okay, we're going to read this out loud and together. Okay, you guys ready? Yeah, we're ready, Paul. Okay, good. Here we go. Out loud and together. Go. For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not, in any degree, leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down, relax my hold on you, assuredly not. Now this, uh, I will not, I will not, the reason they wrote it three times is it's because it's a legal term that in that culture, when you made a, a deal, like let's say I'm, I'm working on a, on a property deal with Gordon and and I buy something from Gordon, and we, we would go in front of the city fathers. On a particular day, every week they would meet, and we'd go in front of them, and, and we would describe the deal. I'm buying this property, and of course, he's, he's getting a really good price for it, because that's what who he is. And then, uh, so we, what we would do is we would repeat the price three times. And then we would repeat the deal three times, and then we would shake hands, a sign of covenant, in front of these people, and because we did it three times, it became a legally binding covenant. And the word that's used here is only used twice in the New Testament. The word that's used here is a legal word that means, I have covenanted with you. I will never leave you. Psalm 46, write it down. We're going to go to John chapter 2 in a minute, but just write down Psalm 46. It's a psalm that, that has brought me great peace. One of the things that we talked about in the book just a, a bartender. We've got some of these out here. In fact, we've got this one that I love. We took a number of my dad's writings and, and subdivided it into 90, uh, like a 90-day devotional for fathers. So it's a great Father's Day gift, 90 days. Uh, and it takes about 45 seconds a day. And so each day, it's get in there, read that, boom, get, fill your spirit. And so we've got a few of those left. And then just a bartender is the title of this book. It's not just for bartenders, but it has to do with Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, the Bible says, was a cupbearer for the king. So I'm figuring, when I'm thinking about it, I kind of put myself in a modern setting. I figure he's the king's bartender. And so as the king's bartender, 
as a slave, 1,800 miles from Jerusalem, it says that he ended up rebuilding the city of Jerusalem that for 100 years had been destroyed. And nobody could rebuild it. And yet this man rebuilds a city. He's a slave and a bartender. He's 1,800 miles away, and he ends up rebuilding the city in 56 days. How did he do that? His identity changed. So it's a book on identity. Identity, write it down. Identity is the story you tell yourself about yourself. It's how you define yourself, how you define God, because all behavior follows your beliefs. And so Psalm 46, for Judy and I, is we've walked through this. You know, he's our father. He holds on to us. He never lets us go. Psalm 46 says he's the God who's always there. And I think of, and of course, what in my life, you know, we all have a different filter. And, and for many of us, you know, who knew Dan, you know, it's just, no Dan, it's just, you know, praying for the family. And for my wife and I and our family, my daughter-in-law who passed away a few months ago at 29. And, and you know, these things that filter our lives and these things that go on. And the one thing I've learned about our father is this. When I can't see his hand, I can trust his heart. I can trust his heart. I can hold on to that, that he loves me like a father because he gave me that image that I will never let you go. And I don't always understand it, but I do trust him because he's never failed to keep his word. Amen? And Paul the Apostle said this in a letter to Corinthians, to the church of Corinth. He said, you have 10,000 instructors but not many fathers. You see, an instructor tells you what he knows, but a father gives you who he is. We don't follow a book of information and rules and regulations. This is about Jesus. Hope isn't a philosophy. Hope is a person. His name is Jesus. And so this picture we have in John, the second chapter, is a picture of Jesus, but it tells us who God is. Because we look at this little event in the life of Christ, And Jesus even told us, he said, I don't do anything unless the Father shows me or tells me what to do. He said, everything in here is based on the will of God and who he is and his character. So when we see Jesus act out, when we see him do things, when we see him gracious to people who have messed up, when we see him, Jesus, sticking up for people the religious people were putting down, that's our Father in heaven because that's his character. Turn to John chapter 2, and I want to look at this picture of Jesus at at a wedding. And I love this picture, this metaphor, this narrative that shows us who God the Father is. And when I think of that, it it reminds me of the story of the little girl who was uh, young, you know, and I've got little kids, and some of us have little kids, and they're always asking questions, right? I was like, hey, what about this, what about that? And she's like, uh... You're going to come up with answers. Some of them, it's like, I have no idea. Why is the sky blue? Well, there's a refraction element of, you know, it's like, I don't know. How do you explain that? And so this little girl comes up to uh, her mom and says, Mom, where do we come from? And the mom just says, well, there was a garden, a beautiful garden, and God came, and there were angels, and there were flowers, and there was sun was shining, and it was this beautiful garden, and God created man and woman, and the little girl's like, wow, that's awesome. And a little while later, as children do, she goes to her dad and she goes, Dad, where do we come from? And dad's like, uh, well, uh, see, there was some mud and there was some, like, protoplasm. And in the 
protoplasm grew legs and it grew out and went to school. The little girl's like, okay. And so a little while later, she comes back to her mom and she says, Mom, you know, I'm confused. You know, you said it was beautiful and it was a garden and all these things were happening. There were angels and God was, you know, created. And I went to Daddy and Daddy said it was something about mud and proto-something and crawled out. I'm just confused. And her mom said, "Hun, don't worry. Your father was just talking about his side of the family. I love that one. Love that picture. John, the second chapter, is this picture of who God is. And it's the first time we ever see Jesus actually do something that we would call his ministry. And he comes into his ministry, John chapter 2. And it's at a wedding. And I want to sort of break this apart over the next few moments together. And here's what it says. Read it with me. John chapter 2 says this, the next day there's a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, Mary. And so Mary is there, with, and it's apparently some of her friends, as we find out later in the story. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. Now this is a three-day wedding. This is the way things rolled in those days. Three-day wedding, the wine runs out, this is not good in Cana, and it's not good in Calgary. Can I get an amen? Right? So the wine runs out, verse 3. So Jesus' mother, Mary, goes to Jesus and goes, hey, they don't have any wine. It's friends of mine. They're out of wine. And Jesus, according to the way it's written here, I'm going to fix this in a moment, because I think it was written by some old guys in England about 300 years ago. It says, uh, Jesus replied, uh, my time has not yet come. Dear woman, that's not our problem. I'm like, I don't think Jesus is talking to his mom like that. Okay. And in verse 5, but his mother told his servants, do whatever he tells you to do. So what he says to do, do it. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for uh, Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. So... Because you guys use liters, right? So I think I figured out it's like 8,000 gallons, 8,000 liters. Is that something like that? So fill the jars, 20 to 30 gallons. There's six of them, 180 gallons. He said, now dip a cup in, take some out, take it to your boss, the master of ceremonies. So the servant did it. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. He says, a host always serves the, the best wine first. If you're going to do three days, serve the best wine first. Then when everybody's had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you kept the best till now. What's up? Verse 11, this miraculous sign happened. The first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to a house that he had purchased in Capernaum for a few days with his mom, brothers, and disciples. Now, this is the launching platform of the ministry of Jesus Christ, and it didn't happen by accident. Not one thing in the life of Christ was like, oh, well, how did that, you know, it's like, God's like, well, how'd you end up there? Jesus is like, I don't know. Everything was on purpose. Everything had a meaning. Everything had a purpose to it. And this, at a wedding gives us a picture of who our Father in Heaven is. I want to fix one thing real quick because I mentioned it, and I I love this picture. It's Jesus and his mom. 
And you know the interaction of Jesus and his mom. She's the first one that finds out she's carrying, you know, the Son of God, the Messiah. And then the whole picture of up until 11, 12 years of age, you know, the mom is the one who would educate the child. And then the dad takes over. And then somewhere between 12 and 30, you know, Jesus' dad is no longer there. He's passed away. And so now we see him at 30 and his mom's there, right? And so his mom comes over and says, hey, they're out of wine. So this is like, this is at a party and her friends are giving a party. And her friends, like, like maybe this woman's like one of her girlfriends, you know, and like, and she's like, Mary, like, we've run out of wine. She's like, don't worry, my son will fix it. This is great. So she goes up to Jesus and she goes, see, this is the way I think it went down. She goes to Jesus and she goes, I need you to do something, they're out of wine. And he says, yeah, I'm, I'm not doing any of that stuff yet, Mom. And she goes, yeah, but you and I know you could, you're the Messiah. So you could, he goes, Mom, I don't even have all the disciples yet. You know, I mean, this, I think that's how it went down. And so then what happens is, this is such a great moment. She, little mom, Mary, turns to the servants and says, hey, whatever he says to do, do it. And then she just leaves. She's <laughs> like... And I just, I can see Jesus, and he's with his guys, and, and, he, and he, they're looking at him like, what are you going to do? And she's like, he's like, ah, she's my mom, you know. It's like, yeah, aren't you the Messiah? She's my mom. And so, and so he goes, all right, got to do something. He sees these jars, and they become wine, and we're going to go over that in a minute. And here's the beauty of what I think this moment shows us. We were driving, my wife and I, a number of years ago, we're driving with our daughter, Lindsay, who now has four children. And uh, we're driving down the road, and we look over, and there's a wedding. Now, I, we got different, men and women had different filters. Anybody ever notice we somewhat think differently? <laughs> Anybody married? Uh, and so we're looking over, and we see the wedding, and I look over, and I, I, you know, for me, so now I'm, you know, I'm a guy. I mean, for me, a wedding is not that complicated. You just show up. It's a little different for the ladies. And so they look over, I look over, and I look over, and I'm thinking, because, you know, the bridesmaids are there, and you can see the bride getting out of the car, and you see people coming into this little white steeple church outside of Dallas. We live in Fort Worth area. And we look over, and, and, and I look at it, and my first thought is, I wonder how much that dinner costs. <laughs> right? I wonder, man, I wonder how much coin that guy dropped on that thing, you know? And then they look over, and there's this international language that every woman in every culture has. I've been all over the world. We have ministry in 134 nations, you know, discipling men and raising good dads and, and changing the future of the world by raising men who won't just raise a good son, but raise another good father. Can I get an amen? And so, uh, so my girls look over, Lindsay and, and Judy look over, and they both do this international language. They look over, and they go... Aww. It's like that. It's like, ah, because they're, th it's like this beautiful moment. And for me, I'm like, ah, oh, man, can we cut the guest list down a little bit, you know? And, and, but here's the beauty of a wedding. Let me give you the first thing that I think is amazing about the fact that Jesus' ministry starts at this wedding. A wedding is about new beginnings. 
It's something new. It's something fresh. It's something that never existed before. And the Bible teaches us, and Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians. He said, he said this. He said, when you become a follower of Christ, you're no longer defined on your past. You're defined based on the life of Christ and your future. You're not defined by the stuff that happened to you or the things you did. It says, you're no longer who you used to be. You're a new creation. You're new. Things are fresh and new. Revelation chapter 21, there's a voice that says, God speaks from heaven and he speaks and he says, behold, I make all things, what? New. Lamentation says his mercies are new. When? Every morning. God doesn't live within time. He lives outside of time, created time for you and me. So that every day becomes a new day. Every day is a do-over. How many of us need a few of those? (laughs) Every month is a fresh start. Every year is a new start. What is this? This is June. So now that means most of us have already stopped going to the gym. Right? So like, uh, so January, February, everybody's on the track running, you know, people are working out, and it's June, and now is when we make the recommitment. We're going to finish the year strong. We're going back to the gymnasium. And so, so the fact is, he's a God of new beginnings, and he's a God of new starts and fresh do-overs, and he says, when my spirit comes on you, you're no longer defined by those things you struggle with. You're defined by the fact You're a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. What defines me is not my mess-ups or mistakes. What defines me now, according to Colossians, is that the life I live is no longer my life, but I live in Christ. What defines me is him, not me. I'm not not perfect. That's what Chad said. Nobody, you know, if you want to go find a perfect church, the issue is the moment you go to it, it's no longer perfect. Turn to someone and say, he's talking about you right now, you know. He's talking... (laughs) Actually nailed you. So, the, so he's a God of new beginnings and fresh starts. And, and that we can today say, Father, today I want this thing to be new. New beginnings, fresh starts. I walked in, Judy and I got married a number of years ago. And I remember walking into, uh, she grew up in Napa, California. I grew up in Santa Cruz, California. And I remember driving up and I walk in. And like I said, apparently... There's a lot of details in a wedding because she's got papers all over the table. And, of course, later when my daughter got married, I found out, well, even then, for me, there wasn't so many details. It was just, here's my visa card, right? So for the guy, show up on time. <laughs> and so, but she's got all these details, papers out. And I walk in to her mom's living room there in Napa, and, and uh, she's writing. And then, you know, I walk in, and I see her writing, and she kind of covers it up. I go, well, what's, what's that? She says, nothing. I go, no, no, what are you, what are you writing? And what she had been writing is her first name, and she was taking my name, so my last name, so Judy Cole. But she hadn't written it once. She had written it 50 times. She's writing over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And over. And you know what she was doing? She was dreaming. I believe a wedding's about dreams. I believe a wedding's about dreaming of what can happen and what's, what's about to transpire, and it's, New dreams, and I believe the wedding shows that God loves your dreams. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this. It says, you're his masterpiece. I created you in good, I created you for good works from before the world was ever formed. In other words, God knew he needed one of you. 
So he designed you for a purpose to be alive now. You're not here by chance. No matter how you got here, you're here by the hand of God in order to fulfill the purpose of God and his plan. Every single one of us has a purpose and a part to play in that. Every single one of us is significant. Every single one of us in this room, God breathed into us life. He said, because when you have my life in you, you're going to touch people around you. And the world is changed one person at a time. It's not just because of big meetings and big stuff. It's because one person talks to another person and somebody brings their neighbor next week. Hey, dude, you need to flourish. You know, and, and brings them to church. And when that happens, things begin to shift. And God loves your dreams. God loves the things he put inside of you. Some of us, we prayed over it this weekend. It was incredible with the men. Praying over businesses and new ideas and fresh starts in marriages and Praying over uh, relationships between fathers and sons and fathers and daughters. And man, it was incredible. That's, that's our Father in heaven who loves your dreams and put dreams in you that even when you were a child, you dreamed of some things that were going to happen and she dreamed of that. And then I believe the third thing of, about this wedding is that it's a, it's a brand new family. Weddings are always about family because that husband and wife are coming together to start something that's never existed before, a family. When we become a follower of Christ and we get connected to his body and we arrive at a place like this, this is, the building's not the church. The church is the people. It's us. So when we leave this building, we actually leave as the church to go be the church in culture, right? So it's also called the family of God, his family. That when we become a follower of Christ, when we arrive here, the amazing thing is we can come from different backgrounds, Namibia or Belgium or, you know, Edmonton, <laughs> foreign places. You know, so, so we can come from different backgrounds and different provinces and different states, but when we walk in here and meet each other, as followers of Christ, there's this connection. Why? Because we're in the same family. Same blood. Blood of Christ runs through our lives. We're connected. We're family. It's an amazing thing. You know, there's, have you ever heard the term, blood is thicker than water? Blood is thicker than water. And what, what it really means is, is uh, this, because I always took it to mean, you know, uh, blood, family sort of thing. And it means that in, in a tertiary sense, but but I learned this in, uh, some, from some uh, people in England. They said what it means is the blood of covenant between two people. And in particular, they were speaking of two men. The blood of covenant is actually tighter than two men who have been born of the same birthing water. In other words, you know, you can be, you can be in the same biological family and not necessarily be friends. Hello, somebody. But when you're birthed in the same blood, in the covenant of Christ, you are together as family. You are covenanted. There's something that happens. We pray for each other. We love each other. When we receive an offering and we give our tithes, and it's not just so the lights go on. It's because we love people, because we're helping kids in Cambodia and Calgary, because somebody's going to walk in this place and somebody's going to be touched. And we do it because we love our 
family and the inclusiveness of God is that he includes everybody. The scandal of grace is even bad people get in. Okay, so maybe I'm talking about me, you know, it's like, right? So even people who have really, like, you know how you could, if you were God, there would some, be some people you wouldn't include? Come on, somebody, you, know, you ever done that? You ever go, like, if I were God, that guy would not be here. In fact, he'd be toast, right? And yet God says, you know, all you've got to do is turn, follow me, and we're family. It's amazing, isn't it? And then the last picture is he makes all things new. He makes all things new. There's these jars, and these six jars with 5,000 liters of water, whatever it may be. Okay. So there's, there's six of them, right? Six jars that said they were used for ceremonial washing. Do you remember Jesus at the Last Supper washed the feet of the disciples? And the disciples said, no, 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 don't wash our feet. That's what servants do. Why was that? Because in that culture, you would walk around with sandals. And, you know, so your feet in those dirty streets and roads that you'd be walking or riding a donkey or a horse, or you'd, your feet would get dirty. And you'd arrive at somebody's house. And every single house in that culture had a jar of water at the front door and a rag sitting there. And the servant would come and dip the rag in and wipe the feet and dip the rag in and wipe the feet. And you'd wash your hands in it and they'd put oil on your hair and smooth it down and get you cleaned up before you walked into the house. And now for three days, those six jars have been used as the servants dip in and wipe people's feet. Wipe people's feet. Because Jesus said, fill them up. Why? Because they're half empty. They've been used for three days. What is the water like? Feet. So Jesus says, he didn't say, hey, take them out, scrub them, some fresh water. He just says, hey, fill them up, put some more water in. Fills them up. And I love this picture of the servant. This is a little sidebar moment. The servant says, he goes, hey, put a cup in there. Take some of that water out and give it to your boss. And the servant's like, I hate this job anyway. That's <laughs> like, I mean, think about it. I mean, this is real life, right? And his buddies, the guys working with him are going, dude, you're going to do that? He goes, he's the Messiah, man. What am I going to do? And so he puts it in, gives it to his boss. I mean, think about this. It's like, hey, what is it? Because it says, in parentheses, it says, but the servants knew where it came from. Like, watch this, man. They're like, and then the boss goes, goes, whoa, this stuff's amazing. This is the best wine I've ever tasted. And the picture for you and me of our father and what he does in our lives is, is in those six pitchers of water. Because... Life gets pollution on us. We get dirty. Stuff happens. And things happen to us. And we do things. And our life gets murky and dirty and filled with things. And he said, whatever has happened to you and whatever you've gone through and what 
whatever pollution you feel you have on you, I can make it beautiful. I can take the worst water. I can take the one who says, I could never be that. Why should I even go to church? What could God do in me? Look at who I am. Look at what's happened to me. I'm soiled. Never be clean. And he says, that I can put in this water. And the Bible teaches us the water is him. He's the water of life. He's the water that washes us and cleanses us and changes us. And he says, I can make all things new. Stand up with me and let's pray over this. Picture of our Father in heaven who in this moment as he directed his son at this wedding says, I make all things new. One of the things we talked about over the last couple days is I'm not defined by the things I struggle with, but I'm defined by the fact I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's my definition. Some of us have had broken hearts and some of us broken dreams and some of us are living in a really good spot right now. And the fact that the thing we learn about life is that it's, it's like a circle. Somebody said it earlier, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. But the Jewish people knew that it was a circle. The Lord giveth, and then the Lord taketh away, and then he giveth, taketh away. It's a circle, and it's sort of like storms. And some of us are in the middle of a storm. And some of us have just come out of a storm, and we're like, Whew. Some of us are like, oh, man, this week's going to be a storm. Right? So it's sort of, that's the journey of life. And Jesus said, no matter where you go, I'm there with you always. The definition of peace in the world is, is the absence of storms. Peace in the Middle East, what are they talking about? They're talking about no conflict, no war. But Jesus said, my peace will be with you always, even in the middle of the storm, because I'm peace. In other words, peace isn't the absence of storms. It's the presence of God in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the trouble, in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the difficulty, in the middle of the stuff that Paul the apostle said so easily gets on us. He says, I'm your peace. I'm your rock. I'm the one who never leaves you. I won't forsake you. I've got my hand on you. Trust my heart. Today, for some of us, we need to just say, I, I want that. I want Jesus. I want, I want something new. Would you bow your head with me? I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you've taught us here. and I thank you for the metaphor and the narrative of this story that there's something here that touches our heart that, yeah, he makes stuff new. Family, dreams, and new beginnings. So, Father, I pray right now that that revelation, that picture would be alive for all of us here today. That some of my friends who maybe have had a difficult journey today would find a place of peace that's new. That some of us who walked in this place not even knowing, I don't know about this stuff, today would say, I want that. 
Every promise in the Bible belongs to those who are followers of Jesus Christ. But not one promise can be activated by a person who has not committed their life to be a follower of Christ. Pray this with me out loud and together right now as our heads are bowed. Dear God, everyone pray it out loud, follow me. Dear God, I thank you for your son Jesus. I thank you when I trust you and believe in Jesus, my life can be made new. So today, in this building, I trust you and I ask you to forgive me of my mistakes, my sins, and make my life new. I thank you that you promised you would do that. So today, I commit my life to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for that, and I pray over our friends right now the beauty and the glory and the joy of your presence. Father, in these days ahead of us, we would know that you are the one we can lean into. You are the one who will embrace us and never leave us. And Father, right now, as we sing this song, we rejoice in you because you are the one who makes all things new. Amen. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.